We've been studying the book of John for a long time, and uh, last Sunday we began uh, into our, our passage, through the passage at the beginning of John chapter 15, and this is a deep, deep passage, uh, and I keep thinking I'm going to do more <laughs> uh, in a given Sunday, and where I end up is I'm, I'm barely, I'm going to cover like one phrase today in this text, I'm afraid, uh, which is the, the phrase bearing fruit. And I thought, uh, and there's a lot to unpack in this whole passage, so I want to be careful not to, you know, just unpack each item and then have it all sort of laying out on the table in pieces. I want to try to make sure we connect it all back together, and uh, it's kind of a challenge. But uh, today I want to talk about bearing fruit. Let, let me just read the text, uh, and I'm going to read the first uh, uh, seven or eight verses here of John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. <clears throat> Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So you can see that uh, the idea of bearing fruit is uh, sort of important in this text. And I thought, well, let's explore what exactly is Christian fruitfulness? What does it mean to bear fruit? What is Jesus talking about? You know, he hasn't said much about this up until now, where there's one other text where he talks about fruitfulness, and we're going to go back and look at that in a minute. Uh, But what's he talking about here? Well, I want to begin at the beginning. And I I noticed something this week. I don't think I'd noticed it before in the scriptures. Uh, So I'm going to pose it to you as a question. What was the very first thing God said to human beings. Do you know what it was? The very first thing God said to human beings. It's back there in Genesis chapter 1, you know, where God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. You remember that, right? So he does. Scripture says, Genesis 1, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, what's the very first thing God says to any human being? You ready? God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful. (laughs) Be fruitful. And multiply. Hmm. Those two things are related, aren't they? In fact, the fruitfulness of humanity is bound up in their multiplication and fill the earth. That's part of the fruitfulness. And subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. I think it's very interesting that the very first thing God says to Adam and Eve after he makes them is, be fruitful. And that is wrapped up in their reproduction of more human beings (laughs) and the spread of humanity across the earth, bearing the image of God. Bearing the image of God. You see, the purpose of man is to spread the glory of God in the creation. To be God's co-regents over the created order. That means to rule. To exhibit the very character of God in life in this plane of existence, in this created order. That's the very nature and purpose of humanity. And here, that's called be fruitful. Very interesting. And you know, uh, it's also part of the calling of the nation of Israel. If you go to Genesis 22, where God makes his covenant promises to Abraham, Abraham's Blessing, Genesis 22, God says this, By myself I have sworn, he's speaking to Abraham, and this is right after Abraham has offered Isaac and God has provided a substitute sacrifice for Isaac. God says to Abraham, I myself have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and will surely multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. There's a calling on the nation of Israel, a a missionary calling, you might say, that as God makes a nation out of the, out of Abraham and his, his childless wife, except for this one son, Isaac, out of that seed, he will make a nation. And the calling of that nation is to be a blessing to the world, to the other nations. 
there's an image-bearing multiplication that's happening in the promise of God to Abraham. In Leviticus, he describes that as fruitfulness. Leviticus 26.9 says, I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you. Well, if we don't hear Genesis chapter 1 when we read that, we weren't paying attention. I will make you fruitful and multiply you and confirm my covenant with you. Then in Exodus chapter 19, he says, If you indeed will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. That's all the nations of the earth, all the people of the earth. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God was addressing Moses at that time. And he's saying, Israel is not just my chosen people as though I have Israel and the rest of the world can just go to hell. No, Israel is the nation to be the priest to the other nations, the blessing to the other nations. And that is their fruitfulness. And as they live in faithfulness to the covenant they have with God, God will make them fruitful. They will be the image-bearing nation among the nations. Psalm 1, which we read a few minutes ago, says, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't, he doesn't follow... He, He's not going the way of sinners, but his delight is in the law of God. And in the law of God, he meditates day and night. And then the Bible describes that person as being like a tree planted by a river. A tree near the source of nourishment, near the source of refreshment that bears its fruit. So as Israel is faithful to the law of God and the covenant God makes with Israel by the mediation of Moses, that faithfulness bears fruit. In Psalm 80, we read this, Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine, a vine, Out of Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. That's a big vine. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. So the psalmist characterizes the very nation of Israel as the vine of God, planted by God cared for by God. But uh, here's the thing. Israel was not faithful to the covenant they had with God. And so in the prophets, in Isaiah, and then even more in Ezekiel, God starts complaining about the vine. 
Israel. He says, let me sing for my, this is Isaiah chapter 5, by the way. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a vine, a wine vat in it. He looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its walls, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are, its, are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice. That tells you something about the fruit he's looking for. He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So there's a problem with the vine. It wasn't fruitful. So into that concept, if you asked the apostles seated around Christ when he was giving this little talk, his final talk in the book of John, if you asked them about the vine, this is what they would know. They would know Israel's the vine, and it hasn't been a very good vine, and the Lord has prophesied against it. And it's in that context that Jesus says, I am, now remember, I am is a big deal here in the book of John, he says, he doesn't just say, I am the vine. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. You see, in the scriptures here, what he's saying to the apostles is, your faithfulness is is in your connection to Christ. Your, sorry, your fruitfulness is in your connection to Christ, not in your connection to Jacob. Not in your connection to Israel, but in Christ. Now, Christ is connected to Israel. He's, he's an Israelite just as they are. And so God has not abandoned the vine of Israel, but he's identified the true vine in Israel. And he has given Christ the true vine. And so he's saying, look, 
your Jewish heritage, your descendants from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is not the thing. Your connection to me is the thing. And Jesus, of course, is the very Son of God. Now, I said we were going to look at, the, at fruitfulness previously in the book of John. It's in, in chapter 12. In chapter 12, Jesus said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is John 12, 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain, a seed of wheat, falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is speaking of his own fruitfulness as the vine of God, and in this case, the seed of God. You know, that idea of the seed is important. In Galatians chapter 3, for example, Christ is the seed of Abraham, the one who delivers on God's promise to bless the nations by the nation he makes from Israel. Christ is the seed of Abraham. In the fruitfulness of Christ here in John chapter 12, the Son of Man glorified. Here you have the perfect image bearing of the perfect human being, the Lord Jesus. He is an absolute representation of God in his humanity. And so he is glorified in his death, his resurrection, and his return to the Father. The very character and the very nature of God is utterly revealed in him and in the course of his life. He's the seed falling into the earth and dying, and so bearing fruit. Do you see the connection between bearing fruit and glorifying God? And being a participant in the glory of God. That's what Jesus is talking. Now, as we go into the rest of the New Testament, bearing fruit is... is, It's got some interesting locations, and uh, there's some interesting things that Paul especially says about bearing fruit. In Romans 6, for example, he says, but what fruit were you getting at at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? And he's speaking to Christians about their bondage in sin before they came to Christ. He says the end of those things is death. That's the fruit you were getting at that time from those things of which you are now ashamed. But now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get now leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. And sanctification is being set apart to God and for God. And a person who is set apart to God and for God is a person with eternal life. 
For the wages of sin is death. Oh, this is the one we know. This is the verse we know. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, notice that that's parallel to the fruit you get, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life, according to the book of John, Jesus says later in this very talk, when he gives the closing prayer of this upper room discourse in the book of John, he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. You see, fellowship with God that is exhibited in the life of the person. Well, that's abiding and bearing fruit. Fellowship with God exhibited in the life of the person, however it is exhibited, in whatever way it shows, is fellowship with God is abiding. The exhibition of that life is fruit-bearing. Sanctification leading to eternal life. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Now we've been saying this again and again already. We've only been talking about this for two Sundays now. But it's the life of Christ through the believer that bears the fruit of righteousness. How do you bear the fruit of righteousness? It comes through Jesus Christ. If you're connected to the vine, you bear the fruit. It's filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It is for the glory of God. It is for the exhibition of God's nature and greatness. The reflection of who God is in the life of his child. That's what we're talking about. The fruit of the Spirit, according to Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit, love. Well, we already talked about this, right? When Jesus said, if the one who loves me, he's the one who keeps my commandments. And if, if someone loves me, the Father will love him, and I will love him, and we'll come to him and make our home with him. There's a, the upward spiral of love in the life of the child of God. Love, the fruit of the Spirit. So a person who's abiding in the vine produces love. They love the way they've been loved. That's a person who sacrificially acts in the service of others for the real benefit of someone else. I, if I love in this way, I will pay the price for your good. It's a little bit crazy, but it's exactly the way God is exhibited in the life of Christ. 
So if I'm connected to the life of Christ, I'm connected to this kind of love. Joy. (laughs) Joy. I'd like you to listen to me, Christians. You're supposed to be happy. (laughs) The Lord God Almighty has solved your life in the work of Christ. You get it for simply trusting in it End of story, why are you upset? You don't need to be angry at the world. <laughs> you, are, you should be full of joy. A person who knows Christ, who is connected to Christ, who is rested in the life of Christ, will exhibit joy. And the reason you're not exhibiting joy right now is probably you're forgetting something that's true about you. And if you just remember what God has done, not what he might do or could do, but what he has done for you, there's a deep well of joy. Right here in the text of John 15, Jesus a little later is going to say, the reason I'm telling you all of this, all of this, The reason I'm telling you all of this is so that you will have the joy that I have. And the scripture says it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. That's a mighty joy. Mighty joy. It's the sort of joy that enables you to love sacrificially to endure the pain of serving others joyfully. It doesn't, it's, it's, it's got lots of irony in it, I realize. It's hard for us to think of sacrifice joyful. And yet, that's what's going on in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, we already read in, here in chapter 14 in the book of John, peace I give to you, not like the world does, but the real thing, the real thing. It's the same sort of thing, you know, in Christ, my life is actually, actually, as a matter of fact, my life is a settled matter. It is settled in him. There's no need for striving or conflict. Now, I strive in conflict all the time because I'm dumb and I forget this stuff. But in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, when the fruit, when the Spirit makes me mindful of my connection to Christ, (laughs) there is a Deep peace in that reality. Peace, fruit of the Spirit. We could go on. Kindness. My connection to Christ makes me kind, nice, (laughs) easy to be near, not abrasive. Kindness, goodness. My connection to Christ makes me worth knowing. 
makes it good for someone to have a relationship with me because what they get from me is him. Faith or faithfulness. The word in in the original here is just faith. A person who's connected to Christ is true, trustworthy, and trusting in him. Gentle. Self-control. Oh my goodness. Wouldn't you like to be self-controlled? Do you ever lose a hold of yourself? <laughs> mm. Self-control, what a, what a precious thing. There's, at the end of this sentence, Paul says, against such things there's no law. Nobody thinks any of these things are, are bad. Love, joy, peace, kind, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Everyone knows these are good things to have in a, in a person's character. Nobody's making any law against any of this. I'd like us to also notice all of these things are, about, are, are relational in some sense or another. In other words, they're about how we treat others. How we relate to another person. And this comes back to what we've been saying through the whole, our whole conversation today. It's about the likeness of God in us showing in relation to each other. It's about likeness in image. Now, my guess is, as we've talked about all these ways, uh, well, it's not like a bunch of ways, but as we've described what it means to be fruitful as a Christian, some of us, or probably all of us, are feeling a bit convicted Like, oh, I could certainly do better on that. Love, joy, peace. I said, you know, as a Christian, your life is settled. How settled is it? Are you experiencing the peace? And I could go on preaching this way, and I could get every one of us to make a list, this very same list, and turn this list of fruit into a list of commandments. But this is not a list of commandments. This is not a list of commandments. Certainly all of these things are commanded in Scripture, but here's the secret. What we're told here is that this is the fruit of the life of the vine in us. The fruit of the Spirit. So I'm going to define fruitfulness like this. To bear fruit is to exhibit the reproductive, multiplying nature of the vine. I'm going to say that again. You ready? You could even write this down. I think I printed it in the bulletin just to make sure everybody got these words. To bear fruit is to exhibit 
the reproductive, multiplying nature of the vine. A fruit-bearing branch is one (laughs) that exhibits the life of the vine. To bear fruit is to bear God's image. Now, here's what I want to say to you. Love, joy, peace, all those fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those things can be exhibited in a person's, a human being's life in a multitude of ways. A multitude of ways. A student who is disciplined about his schoolwork is exhibiting self-control. He'd rather, you know, play or do something else, but he's disciplined. He controls himself to do what's good for the good of himself and others. A husband who loves his wife is exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, the life of the vine. To some limited degree, any human being can exhibit any one of these things. But the one who is connected to the vine is the fruitful one. But this can be done any number of ways. Someone who uh, just exhibits his God-given talents in the world, whatever they might be. Uh, If you enjoy God's creation in some particular way, I always think about surfers. <laughs> surfers ride waves. Well, God makes the waves, and they play on them, and they experience a spiritual joy from, from their dominion over this unstoppable power that God made. Well... They're bearing God's image when they do that. That's what we're talking about here. It's just being a full-on human being. So when we talk about bearing fruit, we should probably be careful not to specify it too hard. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, These are big, broad categories of things. And when a person, in connection with Christ, exhibits the life of God in the world, they are bearing fruit. Remember, remember, (laughs) remember, the branch doesn't produce the fruit. It only carries it. The life of the vine in the branch produces the fruit. The key to bearing fruit is abiding, not personal determination. This, this is really what I want to, I hope you can avoid, is taking all of this information about what it means to bear fruit and somehow transforming it into a list of things you have to accomplish in this world. No, if you focus on Christ on fellowship with God in Christ by the Spirit, if you focus on that, these things will happen. You won't be able to stop them.
You will be loving. You will have peace and joy in your life. I, I wanted to start, I thought, at, at the beginning when I was planning this talk, I thought I, I wanted to start with uh, two, two ways of saying fruitful, which is like this. One goes like this. The Christian life is intended to bear fruit. The Christian life is intended to bear fruit. Well, that's certainly a true statement. But it's also a dangerous way of saying it. Here's another way of saying it. The Christian life will bear fruit. You hear the difference? Because the Christian life will bear fruit is simply a statement of fact. If I get if I say intention, then I'm running the risk. It's still true, but I'm running the risk of you trying to be the vine. You're not the vine. You have the strength to bear the fruit of the Spirit <laughs> by the Spirit, not by yourself. And we're going to talk next time about Branches that try to be fruitful without really being connected, and it turns out they're not fruitful. Next time, we're going to talk about this. What, what, does the, what the gardener does with branches, fruitful and unfruitful. <laughs> the gardener does something with fruitful branches, and he does something else with unfruitful branches. That's what we're going to talk about next time. Today... I want you to just notice the key to fruitfulness is abiding in Christ. We're going to need to talk about that as well. Well, how do you do that? Abide in Christ. How do you, how do, you do that? And is that something a branch really needs to do? Or is it just something that happens? Well, not today. <laughs> talk about that maybe in a couple more Sundays. Uh, so, again, thanks for joining us today. Let me say a word of prayer, and uh, we'll continue. Father, thank you for your love that produces love in us. Thank you for the Son of God. Lord, thank you for binding us to the vine. Lord, we pray that the life of Christ will be exhibited in our lives will have its fruit-bearing, multiplying way in us. That in our connection to Christ, others will be connected to Christ. And that all of us will begin to exhibit love, joy, peace, patience. Lord, uh, We pray for this reality to be our experience. Lord, uh, thank you for your amazing grace that makes all these things possible. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.